walking up that hill, struggling up that hill. Um, I've never done it. I haven't, I've been to Colorado Springs one time, but I've never done this. And I know you guys have done it. I know you did it a couple weeks ago or something. Um, I remember seeing that. But I've, I've never actually done it. But those of you who have done it, did you take any breaks? How, did you, how many of you took a break when you did it? So would you say that it's hard? It is. Now, how many of you would love to go try this and do it? How many of you would love to go do it and go to the top? Okay, now let me ask you this. How many of you would love to drive by it and go, those people are nuts and keep driving? How many of you? Yes, I got you. I would love to try it. I think it'd be a blast. Um, I know I'd be taking a lot of breaks, but I, I think it'd be pretty awesome to be able to say that you did it. But um, I think they say the peak is two miles above sea level. I think that's what they say. But anyway, I wanted to show you this because you know what? Sometimes life is like this. Sometimes life is like this. And in James chapter 1, verse number 2, James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I would imagine that when you start out up that hill, it's kind of fun. It's probably a little lighthearted. I'm sure everybody's having a good time. But I'm sure you get a few steps in, and everybody starts to get a little more serious. And all of a sudden, it's work. And maybe it's not so much fun. And it gets hard, and it gets steep. But the truth is, is our lives are like that sometimes. Our lives get hard. Our lives get steep. And we have hard times. Life is not always a bed of roses. It's not always easy. And so this morning, I want to bring a message to you entitled, Choosing Joy in the Struggle. Choosing Joy in the Struggle. In James chapter 1, James tells these Christians, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Um, I just have three points this morning. I, wanna, I just want to talk to you about the audience with the trials. I want to talk to you about the acceptance of our trials. And then I want you to notice, lastly, the awareness in our trials or of our trials. The first thing I want you to think about this morning is the audience. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, my brethren. My brethren. James is about to give a command to these Christians. He's going to command them to do something that honestly isn't easy. It is not easy to count all things joyful when we fall into diverse temptations. That is not an easy thing to do. And so James begins this command with, honestly, first of all, an, an affection, a love, a tenderness. My brethren, their family, their family. And so he starts off with, with a unity, with a camaraderie, with a fellowship, with a closeness, with affection. My brethren. And they're his brethren. These are somebody that he has something in common with. What's interesting is in the book of James, there's over 60 imperatives or 60 commands in the book of James. 60. And what James does is James includes himself in that command. Is it not easier many times for your children when you give them a job to do? Is it not easier for them sometimes to do it when you're there? Yes. 
Is it not easier sometimes with your kids? Like, we're, we're losing the leaves on the few trees that we have here in uh, eastern Colorado. But we are losing the, tr- the leaves on our trees. How many of you make your kids go rake up leaves and put them in the trash? How many of you do that? Or put them in the burn pile or whatever you do? Let me ask you a question. Many times I find that it is easier to say, hey, let us go rake up the leaves. Or hey, why don't we go rake up the leaves together? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's the only way to parent. I believe in telling your kids to do something and them obeying. I believe in that. But there are times when it is easier to tell your kids to do something when you are included or you are alongside them and you are helping them. And that's exactly what James does here. James is not telling them, hey, you need to do this. James is really saying, hey, me too. I need to learn to count it all joy. So he starts off with affection, but then he not just is speaking with affection, but he's also speaking with authority. He's also speaking with authority. How many of you like authority? You should all have your hands up. Authority is a good thing. Authority is a godly thing. God has put authority in your life and in mine. Authority is a good thing. But authority, let me ask you a question. How many of you like taking a command or being told what to do by somebody you don't know? How many of you like that? Yeah, no hands. Right. Let me ask you this. How many of you like taking orders or being told what to do from somebody who you know doesn't like you or that you don't care much for How many of you like having them tell you what to do? No. You know what we do like? We do like taking orders, or we do like being told what to do by somebody who actually loves us, cares about us, and we know who wants to help us. Don't we? We do. We do. Whether it's a coach, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a friend, uh, whatever it is. I had a teacher when I was in high school who... um, she was just mean. She'd call you names in class. She'd make fun of you. If you raised your hand and asked a question or you answered a question wrong, she, she would make fun of you. And I hated that class. And I couldn't stand that teacher. And when she asked for something or she wanted something, I didn't want to do anything for that lady. I hated that class. We like being loved and cared for. And when somebody truly cares about us and they ask us to do something, sure. We're ready to do it. And that's exactly what James does here. James comes at them with authority, but it's the kind of authority that is relationship-oriented. He knows these people. He's close to these people. He's fond of these people. They're fond of James, and he's telling them to do something, and I would imagine they received this openly. So you have this audience, my brethren. My brethren, you have this affection. You have this authority. So he says, my brethren, and then he gets right into it. Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. The acceptance. So you have the audience with the trials, and now you have the acceptance of our trials. A couple things I want you to think about. The first thing I want you to think about is your circumstances. Notice what he says. He says, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. First thing I want you to think about this temptation is that it's common. It's common. He says, when ye fall. Notice he doesn't say if. Listen, you 
are going to experience hard times. Life will not always be easy. It will not always be a bed of roses. It's not always gonna be rainbows and unicorns, okay? It's not. It's not. It's common. Here he says, it's when ye, not if. But these trying circumstances, these temptations, and that word temptations, listen, yes, it can mean a temptation to sin, but that's not really what he's talking about. This word temptation literally means a trial. It means a test. It means to prove. It literally means an experiment. And so this is not just talking about sin. This is just talking about when we are backed into a corner and we have to make a choice whether or not we're going to trust God. This is when we get backed into a corner and we have to decide, do I truly believe this about God? This is just a proving grounds. This is a trying grounds to show us just how weak or how strong we are and to show us how much we need God. And they're common. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul said this. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Listen, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You will never experience anything that nobody else has ever experienced. You're not that special. And neither am I. So these temptations, they're common. Listen, you are not odd or out of the ordinary because you have a struggle or you have a hard time. Everybody has hard times. Everybody does. So they're common. Not only are they common, but they're complicated. Notice what he says. He says, knowing this, at the tr- or he says, count it all joy when ye fall. How many of you plan for hard times? How many of you are like, all right, today I'm going to get to work. My boss is going to be a jerk. And, um, oh, maybe you do. <laughs> I had a boss like that once. <laughs> oh, man, I worked at a cabinet shop, and I had a boss every day. All he wanted to do was fight all the time. He'd just argue, cuss, yell and scream at you. He's always angry. And when I'd get up in the morning, I'd be like, all right, got to go work with Josh today. If your name's Josh, sorry, it's not you. But anyway. Um, maybe you have a boss like that, but we don't necessarily plan for those hard times. Now you might have a, you might have a nest egg. You might have a savings account to where you try to put money away. That way, if something bad does happen, you can pay for it. You can take care of it. You can, you can, you know, make things float until you get another job or whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe you do have that kind of an emergency type of savings account and that's good. That's good. But we don't always plan for hard times. They just come and we don't see it coming. And they're complicated. What it, this word fall literally means to be surrounded by. Like there's no way out. You're overwhelmed. And many times, our hard times are overwhelming. So they're common, they're complicated. The third thing is, is that they're colorful. Notice what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That word diverse literally means varied in color. And what I found interesting is I thought about fall in Colorado. How many of you like fall? How many of you like the trees changing colors? Any of you get to the mountains this year to see the fall colors? Anybody? A couple people? Man, I love that. 
I, I, I love the fall colors, and I, I just, I enjoy that, and I have told my wife, one of these days, we're just going to plan a road trip, and we're going to take a few days and get up into the mountains and just go see the colors and camp or do something. I, I said, man, we just, we've got to do it someday, but I love those colors. You know, the oranges, the reds, the uh, yellows in there with the evergreens and different things and that dark green and how they contrast. It is amazing. I'll give you a tip. If you like to get up early, get up before it's, when it's dark and get out there before the sun's up and watch those trees. And when that sun starts to peek over the mountaintop and those rays are just shooting and scooting right across the edges, mind-blowing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All those different colors. And they just kind of like explode with that morning. Or if, you do, if you're a late person, go out there for sunset, you'll get the same effect. It's pretty awesome. But those various colors. And you know what? Our trials are that way. We're all going through something different. We all have different things going on. We all have different experiences. We all live different lives. You might be having one thing going on in your home, and I have another thing going on in my home. You have one thing going on at work, and somebody else has something different going on at work. And they're varied. They're varied. And we go through different types of trials, different types of experiences. So these circumstances, they're common, they're complicated, they're colorful, and the last thing is that they're challenging. Temptations. I told you this word temptation literally means to prove. It is a test. It is an experiment. Now, for those of you teenagers in here, how many of you like tests? For those of you who are teachers in here, how many of you like tests? Wow. How many of you like grading the tests? Worst part. Worst part. I don't miss that part of teaching. You got a stack of tests. Anyway. Our trials are challenging. And they're supposed to be. You know why? Because they're trying to prove something to us. They're trying to test us and see where we're at. They're supposed to be hard. It's kind of like I made this mistake a couple weeks ago. I started going to a gym. <clears throat> and I can't tell you how sore I am this morning. Walking up these steps. I could never do another deadlift in my life and I'd be super happy about it. But I started going to the gym with Mr. Travis there in the back and Tyler. And now Chad's coming and I think a couple more people have talked about coming. And um, it's shown me just how weak I am. It really has. And it's shown me just how badly I need to go. <laughs> but you know, lifting weights, exercising is a test. It's a trial. It's proving just how weak or just how strong you are. Kids, when you take a test in school, it's doing the same thing. It's showing you just how lazy or how diligent you are, whether or not you study. It's showing you whether or not you know the material that you've been taught. It is proving, it is testing, and in some ways, it's an experiment just to see what happens. These trials, these temptations that we go through. And so in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, listen to what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah 12, verse 5, listen to what he says. He says, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if the land of peace wherein thou 
trustest, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? So Jeremiah asks an interesting question. He says, if you run with the footmen, with the foot soldiers who are running out to battle, if you're running with them and you're in the back going, he says, then how do you expect to run with horses? And the obvious answer is, is you can't. But then he asks another question. He says, if it wearies you, or if it's hard for you to trust God on dry land, then how will you trust God in the rivers, in the banks of Jordan? And the answer, ladies and gentlemen, is, is we won't. If we can't trust God when it's easy, how are we going to trust him when it's hard? In Proverbs, Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 24, four, verse 10. In Proverbs 24, 10, uh, Solomon said this, if thou faint... In the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You see, adversity reveals how weak or how strong we are. I mean, uh, what is it, a week from tomorrow? You guys are starting wrestling, right? First practice, week from tomorrow. Does it help you guys coaching, Spike, Jeremy, Dustin? Does it help you guys if you came out here and all those kids was, would, did was duck walks and, and worked on drills? If that's all they did, would that, would that really be all that helpful or that revealing to you? Or is it more revealing when you go real time and they're actually wrestling? Which one's more revealing? The real time. Mr. Becker, Mr. Schoen, please don't duke it out right here right now. But you both coach basketball. Mr. Grotto, you've coached basketball. You can sit in the gym and do ball handling drills, passing drills, and shooting drills all day long. But that doesn't make it work in a game. That doesn't mean a kid can function in a game. Hopefully it helps some. But you almost can't substitute game time experience. Game time is proving time. Right? And so you go into that adversity, you go into that, and you see where you need to improve, what you need to fix, or where your struggles are, and what needs to be better. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, God does the same thing to you and me in life. You know what I find interesting? A kid can go out for a basketball team, a wrestling team, whatever it might be, and a coach can make that kid do 3,000 push-ups and run 75 miles and practically kill that kid. And that kid will keep coming back for more, coming back for more, coming back for more, coming back for more, and coming back for more because he wants to play, he wants to compete, he wants to participate, whatever it might be. But God brings a trial into our life and we're like, whoa, <laughs> God, what's going on? This isn't fair. Is God really good to me? Does God really love me? And all of a sudden, when something bad happens in life, we question God. And ladies and gentlemen, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So you have the circumstances. They're common, they're complicated, they're, they're colorful, and they're challenging. But then the last thing I want you to think about under this idea of this, the acceptance of our trials is the actual acceptance of the trials. You have a choice to make. Notice what he says at the beginning of, of the verse. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. Now, for how many of you that seems counterintuitive? For how many of you that doesn't make sense? That doesn't add up. I'm supposed to count it all joy when life gets hard? Yes, you are. You are. That's what James is saying here. That's what God is saying here. God is saying when you get into these trials, these proving times, when you have a test at school, 
When you have something going on at work, whatever it might be, count it all joy. Notice what he says. Number one, he says count. This word count means to think something to be true, to deem it, to say this is true. What are you saying is true that is joyful? Notice he doesn't say if you feel like it, if your emotions add up, if it makes sense to you. He says, no, count, count, count. Notice what else he says. He says, all, count it all. You don't get to pick and choose. Many times we like to do that. We like to say, well, okay, this part's not so bad. I can, but, but this right here, this stinks. This is awful. I, this is unfair. And we want to pick and choose. He says, no, you have to count it all joy. You have to count it all joy. And then we have that word joy. Count it all joy. The word joy or joyfulness is interesting because I would think joy as an emotion, as a feeling. But it's not. It's not. You see, you can choose to be joyful in whatever situation it might be. I think I've had, uh, I, think, I think Dustin, I think you told me one time, was it when you guys were at Fort Morgan High School, was it you had kids, you had a set of twins that loved doing push-ups? Is that what it was? Right? And they would get in trouble on purpose at practice, that way they could do more push-ups? See, those are twisted people, okay? Those are people that probably belong in like a padded room or something. But they would, they would on purpose get in trouble so that way they, as a team they would have to do more push-ups. And how many push-ups would you guys do in practice? 300? 500? All right, everybody get down. Give me 500 push-ups. Let's go. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'd be happy to give you 10. That's crazy. Do they do it with a smile on their face? <laughs> you know what's funny? When you count all things joy, the world's going to think you're twisted. They're going to think you're crazy. They are. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it starts with a choice. It doesn't start with a feeling. You see, our problem is many times is we want it to feel good. That's the lie that the devil in this world try to sell us. Oh, it all needs to feel good. Yeah, tell that to the kid in Marine boot camp. Tell that to him. Tell it to those two crazy kids doing push-ups that it's all supposed to feel good. I guarantee you it didn't feel good. But for some sick, demented, horrible reason, they enjoyed that kind of pain. You see, that counting, it's a choice. And we have to make that choice. You have to make that choice. I have to make that choice. And it's when we make that choice, the feeling follows. If your feelings are hopefully leading to your choices, you'll always make bad choices. Teenagers, kids, pay attention. You allow your feelings to dictate your choices, you will mess a lot of stuff up. And I guarantee you, you got adults in here that would tell you the same thing. Don't follow your feelings. Make good choices. So, here, James says, count all things joy when you fall into diverse temptations. But you know what's awesome? He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give us his command and say, now, do it. He doesn't do that to us. 
Notice verse three. Knowing this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kids that ask you, why? Any of you? Anybody? Anybody with kids that ask why? Anybody? All right, now, listen. Number one, kids. You don't deserve why. Okay? You don't get to dictate the rules. You don't get to. The Bible doesn't say, children, thou mayest ask why, and thy parents must answer thee. It doesn't say that. But the Bible does say, children, honor and obey your parents. It does say that. You have a responsibility to obey. That's from God. But why is not necessarily always a bad thing. Now, kids, let me say this. You can ask why wrongly. You can ask why with an attitude that is punishable by death. Okay? Or you can humbly and graciously, kindly ask your mom and dad why, and with a submissive heart and attitude, they can either tell you, because I said so, or they can explain themselves to you. But you still have a responsibility to obey. Now, parents, let me say this. I understand the grieving, horrible, agonizing pain of why. Okay? You know, sometimes it's like that kid in, in middle school or whatever that's like, why is two times two four? Or why is two plus two four? Why isn't it five? I used to ask this question, well, why is two two? Why isn't two actually three? Whoa, I know. Whoa! That's pretty amazing to think about. I mean, what if two was actually three? And three was actually two. And two plus three was four. And two plus two was five. What? That's a whole new reality. Man! It's not true, though. It doesn't exist. Two plus two is four. Listen, two equals two. So anyway, I understand that agonizing pain of when your kid asks why, but here's, here's the thing. It's not always wrong for our kids to ask why. And the reality is, is there are times when our kids need explanations. They need to understand. Now, I'm not saying that when you tell your kid, hey, Billy, go take out the trash, and they're like, why? Well, son, first of all, this is all going to begin to decompose. And as it does so, bugs and other fungi and blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying you have to explain it to them. I mean, it was really, it's not rocket science, okay? I mean, and if your kid needs explanation on that, then I, I apologize. But um, hopefully they don't. You know, son, you pull the bag, you throw it in the dumpster, you come back and you put another bag in, bada boom, bada bing, we're done, okay? It's that simple, okay? But there are some things in life that we need to, we need to have conversations with our kids, we do need to explain things. And, and that shouldn't always be a problem. As a parent, it should not be a problem to legitimately explain something to our kids when they ask us why. So, how many of you ever asked God why? Yeah, we ask God why. And here's the thing, sometimes God explains it to us, and that's what he does right here. Notice what he says. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Here, James says, listen, 
Count it all joy in diverse temptations. Knowing this, in other words, while you're counting it all joy, remember something. You need to know something. And here's the, here's the point. Here's the point. Um, we, mu- we, we need to realize, number one, that when we choose to count things all joy, it's going to produce certain consequences or certain results. And that's what he gives us in the next two verses, those results. Now listen, when I go to the gym with Travis and, I, and I'm lifting weights and I'm doing three-inch whatever negative deadlifts and, and whatever else we're doing and the other insanity that hurts, um, you know what helps me count it all joy? I know I'm losing a little bit of weight. I know I'm getting skinnier. I know I'm getting stronger. I know you can't tell yet, but you give me a couple months. <clears throat> and once I stop eating so much ice cream and drinking Coke. Anyway, um, no. But, um, but you know what? When, when we're in the middle of that at 6 o'clock in the morning, some insane, ridiculous, ungodly hour, and, and we're doing these things, the one thing that's in my mind is this is going to help me. This is going to make me stronger. It's going to make me healthier. Hopefully I do get skinnier. Hopefully I lose a little bit of weight. Hopefully my clothes aren't so tight. I think about those things. The why of what I'm doing, what I'm doing. You do the same thing in life. And so here, that's what he's doing. He's saying, knowing this. Well, what does James want us to know? So one, we need to realize that when we count it all joy, there's gonna be specific results. But we also need to realize this. These results should help us count it all joy. We should be able to think about the end product and say, I'm going to count it all joy because I want that in my life. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I'm going to count it all joy because I want those results. So, it comes down to what we know. Did you know that what you know affects what you do? Did you get that? Did you know that what you know affects what you do? And it's the same way with God. What we know about God, what we believe to be true about God, affects the way we live. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, the Bible tells us that God is good. In Psalm 34, verse 8, the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The Lord is good. But let me ask you a question. Do you always believe that God's good? Do you believe that God's good in everything? Even when your life stinks and things seem unfair and things are hard, question, is God still good? Then act like it. Right? Right? See, many times it's a head knowledge. Yeah, God's good. But in the way we live, the way we act in our heart, we don't act like God is good. The Bible tells us that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me ask you a question. Does God always love you? Then act like it. 
when you don't feel loved? Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God's word when it says that God is love? You see, ladies and gentlemen, that right there is where the choice has to precede the feeling. You have to make the choice. I believe God is love. Then maybe you'll start feeling loved. But you gotta take comfort in the truth. You have to take comfort in the principle, not the feeling, not the feeling. The Bible also tells us that God is in control. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God is in control. Let me ask you a question. Is God in control when you think your life is out of control? Yes, he is. Romans 8. 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to to his purpose. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that all things will work out together for good? Then act like it. See, the principle, the choice, the obedience comes before the feeling. But many times we become so overwhelmed with our feelings, our emotions, what we're going through, our circumstances, that we don't rest, we don't choose the principle, the truth, what God's word says. And that's where we have to live. We have to live in the truth. We have to base our choices off of principles. So let's get back to this counting it all joy. What do you know about God? That should affect the way you live, the things you do. So what does he tell us in James chapter one? What Me counting it all joy in these diverse temptations, me counting it all joy or choosing to be joyful in these hard times, what's it gonna do for me? What am I gonna get out of it? Verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Three things that God wants to do to your faith. Number one, God wants to exercise your faith. Notice what he says. The trying of your faith worketh patience. There is an exercise. There is a hard time. It is the 500 push-ups. It, 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 it is the deadlift with the, with the stupid three-second negative. It, it, it is running mile after mile after mile after mile. It is putting in the effort and the energy, getting through the pain, breaking through that wall, getting to that next level, and pushing past it. Exercise your faith. He is trying, he is working patience into your life. He is working. It is an exercise of your faith. Notice notice what he says. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith. Three things real quick. Number one, the trying of your faith is personal. It's yours. Travis can't lift my weight. Well, he can. (laughs) He could actually like triple, quadruple it. But anyway, but if he lifts my weight, it doesn't benefit Wes. I mean, I'd gladly let him lift my weight, but um, it doesn't benefit me, does it? It doesn't. Your trial, the exercising of your faith is personal. It's about you. It's about your faith. It's about strengthening and helping you. That's what God wants to do. Exercise your faith. Not only is that personal, but notice there is a proving, the trying of your faith. That word trying means to prove. It means to test, to see what the results are, to see where we are. There's been a couple times working out with Travis where, um, being the Sasquatch that he is, um, 
he puts this weight on the bar and I get in there and I'm like, I don't think this is gonna work. And then I struggle to get it down, put it on the bar and we take weight off, we put different weight on. You know why? Because once I lift it up there, I was like, yeah, this really, this, <laughs> I'm gonna die. Why? Because that's not where I'm at right now. That's not where I'm at. And that's what the trying of your faith does. It shows you where you're not at. It reveals you and your inabilities, your inconsistencies. It's, it's proving. But not only that. Listen, it's productive. Notice what he says. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Listen, exercise is productive. And there's a billion variables. Don't come up to me and explain all that to me, okay? I get that dieting, nutrition, exercise, cardio, weight, strength, blah, 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 blah. I get that there's a lot to that, okay? I get that. But it's productive. When you exercise, you're gonna produce something, okay? It might just be soreness, tiredness, and pain. I don't know. But, um, but it is productive. What is God wanting to produ- produce in your faith? Notice what he says. It worketh patience. That's like a dirty word. Um, Patience is not easy. Patience actually takes me to my next point. God wants to exercise your faith, but God also wants to create endurance in your faith. And that's what the word patience means. The word patience is the word endurance, or it literally means to remain under a heavy load. One thing, I have, one thing that was surprisingly difficult was, I don't know what you call them, but you do these, uh, do these squats where you grab the, the bar and you, put, you hold it up over your head and then you do squats like this. It's amazing what that does to the shoulders. It really is. And you're trying to balance this, this bar and this weight and you're squatting. And it is amazing when you get done that your arms like weigh nothing. They're like feathers. And man, your shoulders are just screaming but you have to remain and hold and balance and, and get that weight there and keep it there while you're going down and doing those squats. And that's exactly what this word patience means. It means you have this weight, you have this hard trial, you have this extreme circumstance in your life and you have to stay under it and hold it. You know what you try to do? Get out from underneath it. God, take this away. But that doesn't create endurance. So God wants to create endurance endurance in your faith. Notice what he says in verse four. But let patience have her perfect work. So there's a couple things about this patience. Number one, you have the patience, the endurance to remain under. Anybody in here like to run? Okay, let's, let's redo that. How many of you run? Okay, so we actually have some runners. Okay, all right. I hate running. Um, I just, I find it to be extremely boring. Um, especially on a treadmill, because you don't go anywhere, you know? It's just. <laughs> and I really don't understand the people in the gym that can read while they do it. You know, they're like, yeah, I don't know where I was, but it looks cool. Yeah, man, just expanding my brain too. I mean, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, I don't know how people read while they do that kind of thing. But anyway, um, endurance. Endurance. My wife likes to run. I don't know why, but my wife loves cardio. She can just go. And my wife could not work out for 20 years and just go run. And Wes, 
can't do that, okay? Um, but a few years ago, my wife told me, come on, you need, you need to start running. So I would, I'd go to the gym, and I'll be real honest with you, okay? Um, now I was running like a <clears throat> three-minute mile times four. <clears throat> and, uh, and I would, and so for 36 and a half, 37 minutes, I would, and I wasn't running hard, it was just a jog, but I would just, I'd stand on a treadmill and jog for 36 minutes. Well, then my wife says, you know, you really need to start getting faster. So you need to start doing this and doing that and, you know, try to push it. I'm like, huh, okay. So I started trying to push it. And, you know, then next thing I know, I'm doing like nine-minute miles. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, this is the only thing I enjoyed about running. I enjoyed the mental side of running. You're running and your legs are saying, I quit. No, you don't. You're going to keep moving, buddy, and you're going to like it. Your lungs are screaming, I can't breathe. Yes, you can. Keep getting air in there, and you make yourself go. And you push yourself, and you tell yourself, no, you can go further, and you can keep going, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. I loved that. That was the only thing I liked. Well, and there is something when you get done running, like there's almost like a high, like in your lungs, like you're like, <sighs> and it feels really good. But anyway, but I loved the mental side of the running, pushing myself, making myself go. And listen, that's what God wants, us to remain under the load, to stay in it, to stay under it. Why? So that it can have its perfect work. That word perfect means complete you see, God has, a, God has something he wants for you. And you're not going to get it if you keep trying to get out from underneath it. You're not going to get it if you keep quitting. You're not going to get it if you keep bailing out. You're not going to get it. And we wonder sometimes why we keep going through the same things. Because you didn't get it the first time. You didn't learn the lesson the first time. You didn't count it all joy the first time. You bailed out from underneath it the first time. So God puts us back under it to create that perfect work, to bring us to that completedness, to a, to a conclusion, which brings me to my third point. So God wants to exercise your faith. God wants to create endurance in your faith. And the last thing is this, God wants to equip your faith. Notice what the perfect work of patience is. The perfect work of patience is in the end of verse four, that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. He gives us three things here. The first thing he gives us is the word perfect. That word perfect, same before, it means complete, but it means to be whole. It means to have everything that you need. So I, I called this the tools. God wants to give you the tools that you need for life. Now, how many of you have tools? All your wives just put their hands up. I see that. Yeah, all the wives, yeah. <clears throat> you have tools? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to your tools and went, I don't have one of those? Any of you, how many of you ever done that before? Question, how many of you guys are the kind of dude that's like, dude, I don't have one of those? I get to buy one. Do, 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 do. Down to the store I go. I have that tool now. How many of you are like that? I am. I know, man. I love not having that tool. It gives me an excuse to go buy it. But what's the problem? Your tools are incomplete right? You don't have what you need to do what you need to do. 
And you know what? Life's like that. We don't have all the tools. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you what you need. So God puts us under that weight. God puts us in a hard situation to equip us, to give us the tools that we need. But not only does he give us the tools, notice this. He gives us the talent. He says that you may be perfect and entire. That word entire speaks to the ability to use those tools. You ever seen a guy that had a bunch of tools, didn't have a clue how to use them? Yeah, man, I got a shop full of tools that I never use. Okay, dude, is that like a bro card? Is that like a bro standard? I mean, what is that? I mean, does that make you a man now because you have tools that you can't use? I love that in woodworking because people buy like expensive stuff, you know? Go out and buy expensive like hand planes, chisels, or even machines and different things, and they don't know how to sharpen, they don't know how to use them, and then they like put them in a garage sale. Love those people. But you know, to use a tool, you have to have the skill. You have to figure out how to use it. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes work. You have to figure out how to use the tool. And that's what God wants to do. Through our temptation, God wants to give us the tools, but God also wants to give us the talent and the know-how so that way we'll know how to use the tools in life. And then the last thing he says there is that you may be entire wanting nothing. And really, the wanting nothing is just kind of like a sum all. It's like a gap filler. It's like wood putty or caulk. I want to give you the tools. I want to give you the know-how. And if we come along, we find anything else that you need, we'll throw that in there too. That's what the wanting nothing is. So God wants to exercise your faith. God wants to create endurance in your faith. And God wants to equip your faith. So ladies and gentlemen, when we stop And we realize God wants to exercise my faith. He wants to give me endurance in my faith. And he wants to equip my faith. I need to count all things joy. I need to count all things but joy. Why? So that way I get the exercise, the endurance, and the equipping that God wants for me. When I was in high school, um, I played basketball in high school, and uh, my coach was like a sadist. Um, man, I remember, you know, we do, we do pitter-patter drills. My coach had a thing where we'd pitter-patter. We'd have to get like in a defensive position like down here and pitter-patter somehow. I don't even know how I did that now. And then he'd put time up on the clock, and we'd do that for like 60 seconds. Then we'd do it for 90 seconds, and we'd do it for 120 seconds, and he'd keep up in the time. And then... Then he'd make us sit there. So we would, we'd get just in like 90 degrees and we'd have to sit there, defense, and we'd sit there for two minutes or whatever he wanted us to do. Oh, phantom chairs or whatever you call them, wall sits or whatever. I hated those. Those were always fun. Wall jumps. You know, you'd sit there and you'd jump up on the wall. My coach had one drill. It was called one, three, five, seven, nine. You'd have three guys in your group. Two of you'd be down there with the ball. One guy would be here, and you'd go full court. The first guy would run one length of the court with the ball, pass it to that guy. He would run run one length. Then the third guy would run one length with the ball. Then the first guy would run three. One, two, three, pass. The next guy would do three. The next guy would do Then he'd do five. Then he'd do seven. Then he'd do nine. Then my crazy coach got the bright idea. We're going to give you a time limit. You have to have it done in four minutes. 
So we'd be busting our high knees to get it done in four minutes. And then he had another great idea. We're going to work it backwards. Now we're going to go one, three, five, seven, nine, seven, five, three, one. What? So we would do that, man. Then my coach had another drill where we'd line up in the center, middle of the court, the whole length of the court, and we'd be in a single file line with some space, and we'd pitter-patter. He'd blow his whistle. We'd have to go to the sideline. Ball. Come back to the middle. Pitter-patter. He'd point to the other side. We'd have to run to the other side. Ball. If he pointed backwards, we'd have to shuffle backwards, whatever it was. If he pointed forwards, we'd have to shuffle forwards. Then he had this thing where he'd point down, and we had to dive across the floor, hop back up, right back into pitter-patter. I don't even want to do that anymore. I don't ever want to go back there. My, my coach had a saying, though. This is what he'd say. You hate me now. But you'll love me in the fourth quarter. That was his thing. You hate me now. But you'll love me in the fourth quarter. I don't necessarily advocate that we hate God because we're supposed to count it all joy. But just like my basketball was trying to create something in us as basketball players... God's trying to put something in your life as a person and as a Christian. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? So that way God can exercise your faith, put endurance in your faith, and equip your faith. Let me ask you a question. What are you going through today? What is it in your life that you need to count all joy? What is it today that you need to say, okay, I need to put my feelings and my emotions aside, and I need to count it all joy and trust God? What is it today? Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll close in prayer in just a second, but before we do, uh, I'd just like to give you a chance to pray and uh, just ask the Lord for his help. If you want to come forward, this altar is always open. If you want to come down here and pray and ask God to uh, work in your heart and your life, Um, so let me ask you this morning, if you'd, be willing, if you'd be trusting and brave enough to raise your hand, let me ask you this morning, how many of you this morning, you'd say, you know what, Pastor Wes, I am going through a hard time, and I do need to count it all joy, and I haven't been. You just say, will you pray for me? Anybody like that this morning? You say, will you pray for me? All right, all across the room. Like I said, these things are common. We all go through hard times. And it's not always easy to count it all joy. It's not always easy. Let me ask you this. Is there somebody here this morning who would say, you know what, Pastor Wes? I'm not even saved. I'm, even, I'm not even a part of that audience. I'm not even one of the brethren. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. I've never uh, admitted the fact that I'm a sinner and asked Christ to save me. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm not even a Christian, Pastor Wes. Is there anybody like that this morning? Can I pray for you? Anybody? Anybody? All right. I see that one hand. All right. Father, I thank you so much for, for those that raised their hands. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the strength to count all things joy. Lord, I think of this one that raised his hand for salvation. I just pray that you'd, that you'd work in his heart. And uh, I pray that you'd just uh, allow us to help him. And Lord, I just pray that you'd work in this invitation time in Jesus' name.